feel sorry for the MoDOT folks. MoDOT meaning, of course, the Missouri Department of Transportation. Everybody wants the roads to be good, but nobody likes construction. That's a tough conundrum, tough place to be in. I think that MoDOT also knows how we feel about them. I think they understand. Have you ever seen one of these signs? Completed as promised. It may as well say, hey, see, we're not so bad. Maybe that's how I'll start ending every sermon, completed as promised. I'm, I'm going to work on that. Those three simple words have larger implications, right? Hey, we told you this thing was going to happen, and we followed through on it. Promises are a big deal. Some people measure politicians' success by how many campaign promises they delivered on. For example, now, y'all know I'm smarter than that. I'm not going to get into that. My guess is you've been on the giving or receiving end of a parental promise, right? You can't just go tossing those words around as a parent. I promise we'll do that because it will haunt you, right? We understand as parents, we should choose our words carefully. And maybe you remember as I do as a child when maybe a promise wasn't delivered on, you didn't get to go to the comic book store like they said or whatever, didn't have your friend didn't get to spend the night like your parents promised and your protest was only two words, and they'd, they'd last about eight seconds. But mom, you, help me out. You promised. That's right. We weigh a promise based on not just the content of the promise, but really we give a lot of weight to a promise based on our relationship to someone and the content of their character. That's, that's why if, if somebody at Target promises you on the phone to hold an item and they don't, it, it's not as big of a deal or it's less disappointing than a politician you believed in or a family member that you trusted and love breaks a promise. Last week, we looked at God as the one who spoke creation into being. This week, we'll look at God as the one who speaks promises over us. As we continue deeper into the story of God, what I hope we'll discover today is that God's promises will probably require a move and will definitely be for more than you. In this long story short series, we're taking a look at kind of the, the major themes of the Bible, the story of God contained in the scriptures. The Bible is a collection of 66 books that was written across three continents by over 40 different authors over the course of many centuries the Bible contains many genres of writing, such as history, law, poetry, philosophy, letters. It spans genres. It spans multiple authors living thousands of years apart. And yet we find in scriptures, in the scripture, in the Bible, the unified story of God. The Bible is the story of God pursuing people to be in right relationship with him. Each week, we're going to explore a major theme from Scripture, and then we're going to invite you to dig in a little deeper beyond worship by joining one of our online small groups. And you can go to our website, carney.church. Pastor Sherry's got a great lineup. We had those kick off last week, and it was a huge success. Uh, we had a blast on my Tuesday night Facebook deal. Uh, so at 7 p.m. on Tuesday nights, if nothing else, you can log on even anonymously and, and kind of keep the discussion going uh, further and further beyond worship. And if you're new and don't know much about the Bible, friends, these are for you. That's the point. How else would you start to get to know more? 
So don't wait to, to, to get a start. I think somebody preached about that uh, recently. This last week, we zoomed in on three verses from Genesis. That was last Sunday. And it's the same this week. It's amazing how, how much you can get, how much, how much needs to be unpacked from a few short verses. And so I, in some ways, we're barely scratching the surface. But remember, we're hitting the highlights here in our Long Story Short series after God spoke creation into existence and called it good, people chose their own way. Because of this, sin enters the world that was created perfect as God intended, but that's lost because of the human decision to judge for ourselves what is right and wrong rather than looking to God for what is right and wrong. Societies form and they are far from God's best desires for people. God devises a rescue plan which God will initiate through Abram so we're going to be reading about Abram today, whose name will later be slightly shifted to Abraham. I worked all week on saying Abram instead of Abraham, and so you can kind of make a little tally for the number of times I messed that up. That'll be a little fun bingo game for us. We were introduced to Abram in Genesis 11, and the story of Abram goes all the way to Genesis 25. That's a lot of real estate. And so Abram is, is one of the major figures in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. Abram lived around 2000 BC in the ancient city of Ur, which is in modern Iraq. That's where we would locate it. Abram is around 75 when we meet him, and he lives in an agricultural society raising animals. We know that his family did well because the Bible says his family had lots of livestock and lots of provisions. Abram and his family migrate to Haran before Abraham, ah, there we go, before Abram would depart again. And it's at this point that we'll pick up in our scripture, Genesis 12, starting with verse one. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Again, part of, part of the reason we, we only are looking at a couple of verses a week here is because there's a lot to unpack, even just in this one single sentence, this one verse this is the first time when we read the Lord said to Abram. This is the first time that God is speaking to Abram. Abram didn't grow up going to church every week, right? This, the, the, the Bible records, the, this is the first interaction between God and Abram. Abram likely worshiped the pagan gods of his region. God speaks to Abraham in a way that many of us might be envious of, right? And so I, I always... I always think it's important for us to be reminded, you know, I, I, I get some amount of jealousy. I don't, I don't know if jealousy is the right word. I'm, I wish God would interact with me the way that God interacted with Abram. And yet we have so much more access to so many more things than Abram did. It's important to, to be reminded of that. All right, we have the biblical witness that Abram obviously didn't. We have the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus, which Abraham would have had no idea of anticipating. We have thousands of years of church history and tradition to help inform us about God. Abraham didn't have any of that. He had a voice in the desert telling him to leave everything. And it's to that we turn now. God said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Abram would leave Haran where his family had settled. Now, if you're watching this on like a phone, I'm, I'm sorry, it's gonna be hard to, to understand or read. So you can see the city of Ur down in the lower right. That's where Abraham kind of began his journey. And he's gone north and 
west to the city of Haran. You can see that kind of at the, at the top there by some of the blue. And eventually, he's going to make his way down, spoiler alert, to Canaan in the lower left here. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the geographical situation that Genesis has us in. Abraham would leave his family, which we would consider Semitic in ethnicity, and his family was the source of security in, in all of ancient society. Your, your, your family, you know, some people call their friends their tribe. No, this was literally the tribe of people you survived with. That's implied when God asks Abraham, to, Abram, man, to leave your father's household. So an agricultural society and a patriarchal society, all of your wealth, all of your earning potential, all of your portfolio was tied to the inheritance from your family. God is asking Abram to leave all of that behind. It's hard to overstate how big of an ask this was. Abram is being asked to go to a place he hasn't seen by a God he doesn't know. When we receive an invitation from God, when we want to take God up on a promise, it will probably require a move. Now, that may mean geographically. In Abram's case, that was a physical move, but that could look like a lot of different ways in your life. A move away from the familiar, a move away from our preference, a move away from a sinful pattern in our lives, a move away from what is within our span of control or influence, a move away from what you've known and a move towards uncertainty. If you're gonna accept an invitation from God, it's probably gonna require a move. This obviously takes faith, which is what Abram was renowned for. Abram must decide to remain in what he's known or follow God's promise into a preferred future. Biblical scholar and professor Walter Brueggemann defined a faithful response to God as the capacity to embrace God's future with such passion that the present can be relinquished for the sake of that future. This is the choice before Abram. If we want to receive God's promise, it will probably require a move. But friends, it is a worthwhile risk. Now we get to the promise. God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So in verses two and three here, we get a series of promises and predictions. We get five I wills, we get one you will, and one they will. God says, I will do this for you. Those are promises. God says, you will be this, and they will be this. Those are predictions. They will do this. Tokenbo Adioma said these predictions are based on the promises God makes, and so they can be expected without fail. In a lot of ways, the Bible can be summed up by the promises that God makes. That's actually what we're going to look at next week in our, in our continued series in Long Story Short, the concept of covenant. We can sum up the Bible through a handful of major covenants. So more on that next week. But these I wills had to have seemed pretty far-fetched from where Abram stood. Let's take a look at these. Let's put this up there. God says, I will make you into a great nation. Abraham didn't have a single descendant. He didn't have any kids, much less 
enough to constitute a nation. I will make your name great. Abram's family was successful, but he was an anonymous rancher. His name going to be great. Abraham needed to have the faith that the future God promised was worth sacrificing all the things he knew. And God's predictions went far beyond just Abram. You will be blessed to be a blessing. You will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a foundational principle of our faith that we are blessed in order to be a blessing to others. God's promise will probably require a move and will definitely be for more than you. Three major world religions trace their start back to this episode in Abram's life. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. They all point back to this scripture or in their version of the scripture of the same episode in Abraham's life. Three major world religions. That's 56% of the planet. All this began with Abram's faithful response to God and God's invitation and promises of I will. We read in Genesis 12, 4 and 5. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Now you may have picked up on some troubling language. Abram set out with the people they had acquired. This is an example of the difficulty of reading an ancient text in a modern context. My mind thinks, well, I'm not sure how much of a blessing Abram would have been to the slaves that he owned. Not sure how blessed they felt being property. That's where my mind goes. Reality is that slavery was a normal institution for most of human history. I'm, I'm not advocating that, of course, but I do believe it's a fact. When I read portions of scripture like this, it can actually confirms my belief in scripture because humans have been brutal to each other over time. And the Bible takes place in a brutal time and was written during a brutal time. Abram will go on to have many missteps. Okay, he sleeps with his wife's servant. He gives his wife to someone else in Egypt more than once. And more than we could name and other things we don't have time for were, were the different missteps Abram took. So I'm not trying to cancel Abram here, but I also just didn't want to gloss over these issues. That's part of what we have to wrestle with as we encounter scripture. Now over time, God would reveal more and more. That's called progressive revelation in fancy theological terms. But it just means that God peeled back the curtain more over time. Over time, people would learn that slavery is not congruent with the character of God. Now, in the meantime, God still worked in and among broken people, and that's good news for broken people like me and you. Abram had the faith to follow God's promise that would take away from his home, from his friends, and his family, and into a future that was known only to God. Abram's faith is what makes him a hero to half the planet. He demonstrated that God's promise will probably require a move and will definitely be for more than you. This is easier said than done. I don't know about you, I, I like familiar. I like things that, that I can kind of predict or count on. I found out just how much I like being in charge of myself 
when I took a personality profile of sorts called the Enneagram. Now, some of you will be familiar with this. Some have never heard of it. Uh, The Enneagram is an ancient model for understanding the different motivations and desires of people. There are nine types. And there's no shortage of information online about the Enneagram, some good and some not so good. Uh, The reason I bring this up is when I found out I was a type eight, a lot of my life suddenly made more sense. A type eight's deepest desire is, quote, unfettered autonomy. In other words, I, I, naturally, my inclination is to not like for someone else to tell me what to do, how to spend my time, and things like important decisions like where you're gonna live. How do you think that works out for a pastor who was appointed and told where to serve? That's why from age 17 to age 28, I had heard the call of God but didn't respond as quickly as Abram. Just loved autonomy, loved familiarity. It was only when Sarah and I decided that our future was better in God's hands than our own that we opened ourselves up to the promises God had for us. It would require us to move metaphorically and physically. And we've discovered more peace following God's promise when we opened up our hold on our life We had more peace after releasing that hold than we ever did while trying to clutch it for ourselves. During that struggle between my own desire for autonomy and surrendering to God, I've been inspired by people who understand what it means to have been blessed in order to be a blessing. For people that understand that God's promises aren't just for them to keep to themselves. Some of the folks that have been most inspiring to me are our leadership team here at our church. People who lend their time and expertise to help guide us and and be accountable to our mission, at times to make difficult decisions like, I don't know, being in a pandemic. And in all all the time I spend with these folks, I'm not, not constantly, I'm often reminded, and these folks are doing this out of the goodness of their heart, at least I'm getting paid. These are people who give of their time freely. We have an amazing group and that starts with our chairs the folks that have, have chaired this board, this leadership team, Stacy and Carolyn, were amazing to partner with. Uh, and they balance jobs and family to help mentor a young pastor. And that streak continues with our leadership chair this year. Some of you know him. His name's Bill Nicely. Recently retired as superintendent of Kearney School District, and that's after a decades-long career in public education. Here's a dude that has every reason to kick back and put his feet up. That's the goal of retirement, right? But not for Bill. He continues to consult with leaders in public education. And and, and during this time when we find ourselves, he's been instrumental in in mentoring and, and being a sounding board for other folks in public school leadership. He's still in the trenches. And I feel like I get a free consultant. I can Zoom with them whenever I want. Now, one time Bill and I were meeting and I was just tripping all over myself, uh, thanking him. And, and Bill is always quick to deflect praise, as were Carolyn and Stacy. That's part of what makes a, a leader who they are. And Bill said to me, Adam, I don't think it's a coincidence that I'm in a place in life where I have the time to give you. I texted him that I was gonna brag on him today and his only response was, ugh. I try and get permission for these things, just so you know. 
Bill said to me, Adam, I don't think it's a coincidence that I'm in a place in life where I have the time to give you. Man, I'm grateful for that. Bill understands that he has been blessed in order to be a blessing. That what he has received from God, his skills and organizational leadership, and the gift of the choice to where to put his time, he understands that those gifts are meant for more than him. Friends, Abram responded to God in faith. God's promises will probably require a move and will definitely be for more than you. Completed as promised. And everybody said, Amen.